Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 136. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, here to talk about anacondas, I've got Matt Scaff. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Steve. It's just an honor to be on your show. I'm a big fan of BJJ Mental Models. And so when you reached out to you know have me on, I, I was definitely very happy about that. Fantastic. And of course, you're a podcaster as well, right? You're the host of The Grappling Discourse. Yeah. So I've been doing my podcast for almost two years. In October, it will be two years. And I've just fallen in love with the podcasting process. Now, my show's a little bit different in that I don't have very many interviews. I have had a you know, handful of guys on, but mostly it's just my thoughts on different subjects. So if you listen to my podcast, The Grappling Discourse, you'll hear a lot of me breaking down different things. <laughs> Yeah. Well, interestingly, that's how we started doing this thing, because I think we approached this from a, a very similar mindset. I mean, I'm, I am not a big fan of BJJ celebrity podcasts, right? I mean, I don't really find it particularly interesting to have some competitor on here just rambling about whatever is on his mind. So we we really resisted doing guests for a long time, but then we we tried it and we got to a point where we sort of figured out a working model where we get guests on and we do more of a panel versus like a typical interview, because that way we can actually talk about educational concepts and go deep into jujitsu and not just like ask a person what their competition prep is looking like for their next match right? <laughs> or anything boring like that. We try to make more timely educational content, but yeah, it, it is always a, an ordeal to try to keep some people on the track, right? You let them go for an hour and if they're not used to the format, then who knows what they're going to do. But that is the, the joy of podcasting, I suppose. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> I guess we should also clarify for people who want to learn more about, about you to clarify, you are not the Matt Scaff chiropractor, correct? <laughs> I am not, you know, it's funny. There's very few math scaffs out there. I've actually never met a scaff that wasn't a part of my family. So I know they're out there, right? There's definitely more scaffs. Scaff is a Lebanese name. So if you go to like Lebanon, then you'll, you'll see a lot of scaffs, but in the United States, not very many. And so very unfortunately, a gentleman, you know, made some pretty big mistakes in his chiropractic office that now is linked to math scaff. So. <laughs> not that messed up. <laughs> when when that happened, you must have like checked Google and thought, "Oh shit, there goes my SEO." Like that. <laughs> that's going to be a problem. Yeah, you know, luckily, luckily I'm still young enough. Like if he would have been 30, you know, like I'm 31, if he would have been like right around 30, Definitely would be a little bit more worried about the, the Matt Scaffolding, <laughs> but luckily, you know, it's different state, 
he's much older than I am and uh, hopefully going to prison for uh, a bit of time as well. <laughs> yeah. So my suggestion is if you want to learn more about this Matt Scaff, if you're going to Google him, add like BJJ to the end of his name or something, just to make the process a little bit more, more easy. But with that said, Matt, you came onto my radar because you've got a few very interesting areas of expertise, one of which is the Anaconda. And I'd love to explore this in a lot more detail. It's something we've never really talked about in depth on the podcast. I mean, I'm not really great at the Anaconda, but it's got so many advantages and there's so many awesome things you can chain into and out of it. It's a very powerful wrestling position. There's a lot of really unique entries and exits you can do from there. And of course, transitions to other head and arm chokes. So with that said, I mean, I'll I'll give you the floor here. Give me the sales pitch for the Anaconda. So here's the thing with the anaconda choke. All right. So obviously, I think most of your listeners and, and obviously you, Steve, are going to be aware that there's two types of chokes. You have naked chokes and you have arm in chokes. Now, naked chokes are a lot easier to finish. So when you think about rear naked chokes or guillotines or you know choke variations where you do not have an arm in, it is a lot easier to finish. However, it can be tough to control sometimes. So that's one of the big gripes people have with things like the Marcello team is that it can be really difficult to control. Now, when you have an arm in, you have much more control, especially in some of those wrestling situations where you have the arm in, you're getting to hang weight on the head, and you can really control the position. You can slow the fight down. Now, the arm in chokes, though, are much harder to finish. Since you have an extra joint into the submission, people find, especially if you're not well acquainted with the technique, whatever the arm in choke variation you're attempting is, if you're just starting off, you might find that like, man, I really like that I can control this position, but I'm just having a hard time finishing. But the anaconda, I think, is really special. And it has a special place in my heart over like the darts, because I think the anaconda and darts will always be linked. You'll hear, you know, all the time in the UFC, they mix it up. They've actually done a lot better in recent years getting the terminology right, that vernacular right, and, you know, identifying whether it's a darts or anaconda. But it used to drive me crazy because they would always mess that up. Yeah. But the darts in my opinion, is much more difficult to finish because you're going in, your choking arm is going through the shoulder. So you're going through the arm side first. And so if that person has really good posture or you're going at somebody that like is really strong and they're really good at, again, posturing up and you know getting their posture back, it can be really tough to finish. The anaconda, on the other hand, you're going through the neck side first. And so you're getting into a much deeper choking position right off of the bat. You're already cut off one karate. But the issue that people have with the anaconda is how do I take the, the arm that's in, right, into the anaconda choke? How do I use that arm to cut off the other side of the karate? And I think we're going to explore some of that today. But the anaconda in as a control position is just absolutely phenomenal. And once you get down the choking mechanics, it is one of the purest chokes and one of the most efficient chokes that there is in jujitsu. It's great that you bring this up because this is something I've noticed too. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when, you know, when I started jujitsu, the anaconda choke was pretty popular at the time. I remember Minotaro Noguera loved mm-hmm. the anaconda choke. I remember some buddies of mine went to a seminar of his. They learned his tactics for using the anaconda. It was a big deal. And then at some point, the Dars choke just kind of blew up in popularity and in this day and age in the year 2021 like i 
I see a lot of people going on and on about Darces, but I don't see anaconda chokes that often, which is interesting because I agree with you that the kind of the mechanical structure of the anaconda, there's there's just something about the way that you you grab it. It it feels good when you have the anaconda choke, right? With the Darce choke, whenever I go for that, I just don't love the way that it it feels. I mean, it does have some advantages, but and we'll get into that here and there. But I would love to explore the anaconda in a bit more detail because like you said the anaconda has a trade-off whenever you're grabbing two levers instead of one you're making a trade-off you're trading damage and power for some degree of control like i i love you know single lever attacks like a guillotine where you're latching onto the person's neck or the rear naked you know when you've just got their neck you can get a lot of power and a lot of torque to get the submission but like you said you are losing some degree of control and it's common that, you know, you go for that limb and you've got the neck and then, but the guy like spins or rotates out because you just don't have as much control. If you grab two levers at the same time, like a head and arm choke, it might not be as tight off the bat, but you've got so much more control. It's not just a submission, but it also doubles as a wrestling position and you can use it to, to advance. And I think that's where a lot of people get mistaken when they go for these head and arm chokes, right? They latch onto them. And then they're disappointed that they can't just get the tap right away. But with that kind of control, like you can use that to transition, right? There's no rule saying you have to sit there. You can use that control to advance, to sweep, to get up on top. And I think that thinking of the anaconda as more of a system rather than just a submission is a really interesting idea because of the amount of control it gives you. So if we're thinking about it as a system, right? is going to be, in my opinion, the Darce is going to be in a completely different system than the Anaconda. So the Anaconda really sets up well with arm in guillotines, naked guillotines, and obviously the Anaconda. Like those three work incredibly well off of each other. And there's going to be times where you can switch. And what I really like, so when you commit to a naked guillotine, you have committed to the guillotine. It's very, very, very difficult to go back and then put an arm in. And if you do try and put an arm in, you're almost always going to lose it. So when you have a naked guillotine, you've committed to one movement. Now you would see Marcelo, right? He would chain his naked guillotine with the north-south choke. So if his opponent tried to escape the naked guillotine by going to their back, he would follow and he would pin them and finish with the north-south. And so that's really that kind of circular movement if you just take the naked guillotine. But if you start with the arm in, you can go through an arm in guillotine. You can go between arm in and anaconda. You can start with those attacks. And at any moment, you can switch to a naked guillotine. And then if you have a north-south choke on the backside, you can finish with the north-south choke. So that is my favorite circular choking sequence is that right there. I'm starting with an arm in. My first play is going to be the arm in guillotine. If I feel the arm in's not there, I'm going to go to the anaconda. And then from there, I'm going to go to a guillotine. And then on the back door is the north-south choke. Now, the anaconda, though, in my opinion, is the best pinning position. Like we're talking about pinning. And I think a lot of people really lose track of what the order of operations is in submissions. Too often you see people, right? They just jump on a submission or they commit to their back. They go for a choke. So maybe they're in top half guard and they see an opportunity at the neck and they flip over, they try and do a guillotine or an anaconda or a dar choke, whatever it is, and they completely lose position and end up on their back. The first thing you need to do is you need to get control of 
the head and the arm, but really getting control of the shoulder. The shoulder that is in the lock is going to be the most important, you know, aspect of attacking from that, you know, attacking the anaconda. And so whenever I'm thinking about attacking the anaconda, I'm always looking for an outstretched arm. Okay, so I'm looking for that arm to be out of position. So I'll really describe the anaconda and the guillotine's relationship like this, right? So I've already explained that that's kind of the circular loop, at least for me. It's arm in, anaconda, naked guillotine, and north-south choke. Well, when the arm's extended, okay, anytime the arm's extended, the anaconda is really easy to set up. But if my opponent's arms are closer to their body, right? So imagine, you know, you're going against an opponent, you're passing a half guard or a quarter guard. My opponent's hands, like he's not reaching for an underhook, for instance, then getting an anaconda is going to be very difficult. So I need him to reach for an underhook. That's probably the easiest setup. And that's usually where I start people is off of your opponent reaching for an underhook. Because once they reach, that arm gets out of position and it's very easy to manipulate that arm that's in. However, if they don't reach and their hands are playing a much tighter, you can, you know, try and get a chin strap. You can try and roll over for guillotines. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So to clarify, when you're attacking the anaconda here, we're we're talking about attacking it from, say, top side control, it sounds like. Am I right? So that's where I start everybody off. I think that is the easiest setup. And I always tell people, if you add this entry, you will get taps almost immediately at your gym, especially if your gym is a heavy underhook gym. If guys play mm-hmm. like 10th planet, for instance, you know, I'm a 10th planet. I'm a first degree black belt under Eddie and my uh, instructor, Brandon McCatherine. And so underhook, huge part of the 10th planet system, right? Like lockdown, underhook, lockdown, underhook, like looking to get underhooks. You will get so many easy taps from that position. Now there's so many different ways to set it up, especially from wrestling positions, whether guys take shots or they come up into turtle, but for the easiest way to understand the anaconda and to learn the anaconda, it is from passing quarter guard, like passing half guard, getting into quarter guard, or even from side control. It's going to be coming off of an extension, your partner trying to win an underhook. Got it. Got it. So that's kind of the beginning of the chain here that we're talking about. You're in side control or you're in the process of passing. Your opponent comes up for an underhook, you wrap around their head, and then you set up the anaconda grip, right? Is that what we're talking about? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Awesome. That's a cool way to teach it because normally when I teach the anaconda, I mean, everyone thinks of it as like a front headlock choke, right? I mean, that's the place where a lot of people kind of start the chain, but it is so predictable from there, which is the only problem. So I like the idea of setting it up from the side. The, The other problem with doing it from the front headlock, of course, is usually the assumption is that then you're going to gator roll and you're kind of giving up the position if you do that. So I like this bit about attacking it from side control instead, because so many people there, yeah, like to your point, they think the Darce choke, but I'd like, yeah, tell me more about how you do the anaconda here from top side. So that you just mentioned the key word, the Darce choke. Everyone thinks from this side position that the Darce is what attack is coming. And so the best setup, I'm telling you, Steve, if you add this into your gym, listeners, if you add this setup into your gym, you will tap out so many people. What you do is you act like you're weaving in a darts. Okay. So imagine you're in this battle, right? You just pass side control. Let's say you're in side control. You're in top side control. Your partner, even let them get an underhook. 
you act like you're going for a dar. So we're assuming that we're on the left side, side control. So our right arm is the dar side, right? So our right arm is acting like we're weaving in for a, you know, weaving in for a dars. Well, what everyone's going to do is they're going to resist that, right? What they're going to do is, so now you imagine I'm the bottom guy. I have my left arm underhook and I feel somebody going for a dars. What am I going to do? I'm going to retract my elbow. Okay. To just make it harder. All right. I'm not going to keep extending my arm because then I'm just going to end up choking myself. Right. So I'm going to just retract my elbow a little bit. What you do then as the attacker is your right arm. So I'm back as the, the attacker. So I hope you guys are still following, but <laughs> I've got my right arm in as a darse. Okay. When I feel that my darse has stopped, I get any resistance. What I do is I pinch my own elbow. I go elbow to elbow with them and I pinch my elbow to my ribs, trapping their arm. Then what I do is I fall over, okay? So I attack with my left arm. I, I get the dive over for the anaconda, but I do not lock in. So I think the biggest mistake people think is that they, they lock in the anaconda. They try and lock in the anaconda too soon. You do not yes. need to lock in the anaconda until the last second. Like that's the last step you do. I trap that, okay? So I act like I'm going for a darts. I pin my elbow to my body trapping their arm to me. So I've got that arm in, the arm that's going to be in the lock. I've got that trapped in my body. And then I jump over. So you imagine like Hoffa Mendez, his famous like anaconda setups. I do very similar to what Hoffa does, except I prioritize trapping that arm. When I fall over now, that arm is outstretched. Okay. My arms are not together. So I've got my left arm underneath, you know, in the choking position, but my right arm is pinned to my body. It's actually like a straight arm. And then from there, got the pen and then setting up or getting a deep anaconda choke is really easy. So does that make sense how you can use the threat of the darts to set up that anaconda from side control? Yeah, it, it definitely makes sense. I mean, I know, of course, through audio, it's kind of hard to go through the details, but I, I generally get the idea of what you're saying, right? People, when they're on that side control position on the bottom, right? They, especially mm -hmm. if they're going for the underhook, they expect that the Dars choke is going to be your your predictable yes. response, right? The guy on top is going to go for it. And I would say that most people, like I said, I mean, the Dars choke has kind of become a bit of a fad <laughs> and yes. people go for the Dars choke all the time to the expense of the Anaconda. So I see what you're saying, right? If you switch that grip around, then it's going to be, I think, an unexpected move that would catch your opponent off guard. And, and the other advantage too, that I find like, I'm not questioning the power of the Dars as a finishing move, right? When you are on top of a person in side control, if you've mm -hmm. got them like on their side and you can get the Dars, it sucks for the person on the bottom, right? Like it is very, very easy for the person on top to hold that position and it sucks to get stuck there. But my one criticism of the Dars choke is that there's not a lot of things that you can chain off of it. Right. When you get to the Dars choke, you kind of either have it or you don't. It's sort of like a kill shot. Right. If if you've got the person broken down and you Dars them, it's going to be miserable. But if it fails somehow, you don't have a lot of plan B's, whereas with the Anaconda, you do have a lot of plan B's. Right. So I, I think that that opens up the door to continuing the attack chain, which is you know something that I, I, I see the Dars kind of as like the end of the attack chain. If you get there and it works great, but if it doesn't work, I mean, you're holding the guy in a dominant position, but what's sort of your next step? Whereas the Anaconda, you have so many different movement options from there. I also love the bit that you brought up about 
not locking it until the last second. I remember my friend learned this again from Minotaro, and that was a breakthrough mm. detail when he told me this. People, when they get that head and arm control, they like to grab on and latch on for dear life, like, you know, squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. But the problem is, if you do that, first of all, you don't need to squeeze that tight from there if you're just trying to control the guy. Like if you've got his head and his arm, he's not going anywhere. You don't need to squeeze that tight until you're ready to finish. But also to finish a lot of these chokes, you need to slip a bit. Like you need to slip your body so that you're almost like 90 degrees so that you hit the carotids right. And you can't do that if you're squeezing for dear life, especially in the gi, right? Where there's so much, so much friction. Oh, yeah. So th the trick is you actually have to keep it almost a little bit loose. And then when you're ready to submit, you like, you spin a little bit, hit both carotids. It's like a slide lock, right? And then you squeeze. So that's actually a, a really key detail that a lot of people don't understand is the squeezing is the last thing that you do and it should be loose yeah. up until then. A hundred percent. And here's the thing, right? So when you lock it up, and especially if you think about it from the turtle position or off of a shot, you see guys lock it way too soon. That's the first thing they do is they lock in the anaconda. The issue when you do this is it allows your partner to regain posture and allows them to engage their lat muscles to get separation between their shoulder and neck. So the arm that's in, I want that arm above their head. Once I get that arm above their head, they can't ever get their posture back and they're not going to be able to find any space between their shoulder and their carotid, you know, on the choking arm. So like what makes the anaconda special is that when you, since you're weaving through your choking arm is weaving through the neck side first, you've already cut off one carotid. Like that part is done. And no matter how big your opponent is, the other big issue with the Dars is if you're going against some super big guy, somebody that outweighs you by a lot and you're not long limbed. If you don't have a long reach, it can be really tough getting your arm deep enough into the position. And with the anaconda, you can get your choking arm into a much deeper position initially, regardless of how big your opponent is. Then if you focus on the arm trap, so the arm that's in the lock, if you focus on trapping that to your body and getting it outstretched above their head, it allows you to choke. I think you can choke, uh, use anacondas against much larger opponents rather than, you know, the Dars, especially if you are shorter limbed, it's going to be much difficult for you to use that on somebody that is much bigger than you. Yeah. Well, I, I want to ask you quite a bit, actually, about the whole big guy, little guy dilemma here. But before we get into that, something else that I think is worth bringing up on this topic, too, because I think it is so critical that people understand, like when you're going for the anaconda, don't lock it until you're ready to submit. Another reason why that's important is because, and I see this all the time, if you overcommit to the choke, especially if the guy's in turtle or something, and you go for like a deep anaconda before you've broken him down, you are committing your arm to him. You're you're actually giving him a kinetic chain that he can control. And if you're sparring with like a, a Tellas disciple or a Preet Mikkelsen disciple, like if you go for head and arm control on them from turtle, and they can actually grab and control your arm, like they're going to fuck you up. <laughs> it doesn't even yeah. matter if you think you have control from there. As soon as you give them your arm, they can use it for controlling you and you can wind up in some gnarly positions from there. So it's actually the same if you're playing on um, back attacks, right? A, a mistake I see people make all the time is they're on someone's back and they try to go for the rear naked and they throw their entire arm across the guy's face. And what does the defending person do? They like grab and control the elbow and then they spin around. I mean, the trick to rear naked chokes is you don't give him your whole arm until you know you have the choke. Your opponent should not be able to grab your elbow because if they can do that, you're screwed. 
And it's very much the same if you're going for the anaconda from the top, right? You don't latch in and fully commit until you're, you know for certain that you've got this thing. Otherwise, you want to keep it loose enough that you've got a, a seatbelt on your opponent, but they cannot turn that seatbelt against you. It's a, it's a very funny timing thing that no one ever taught me. But when I realized that, that bit about like, don't commit to this shit until you know you've got it suddenly no one could get out of my choke attempts because they what they wanted to do was like grab my arm and spin around and wrestle out but they can't do that if they can't control your arm it's it's who can hang their weight right like if yes. i can hang my weight on you on your head then i'm going to win that situation but if i'm going against an eduardo tellis disciple or eduardo tellis you know and i stick my arm deep into his armpit and he's able to put his weight on mine then there's a really good chance that i'm getting arm locked off of my choke attempt which is yes. a disaster an absolute disaster you know and so it is crucial that again i really prioritize straight arms okay so when i'm attacking any of my chokes okay i'm not thinking about connecting so like my choking arm is always going to be hanging weight through my lat down into you know my hand and so what that looks like from the turtle position you just think about the Renegade choke. You often see, right, people do this kind of like a, a crossing motion, right? Where basically they're just using their forearm and their hand muscles to try and get underneath the neck. And that is very easy to stop if you just continue to, you know, kind of bring your elbow in and out of position, right? So the moment you take your elbow outside the line of your core, so with my choking arm from the rear naked choke, right? The moment I take my elbow outside of my ribs and the farther it goes, the weaker it gets because it's disconnected mm -hmm. from my body. And so if somebody grabs my wrist, for instance, and my elbows outside. So, you know, if, if your listeners, you know, just take your hand and you imagine you're going to rear naked choke. If your hands in line with your sternum and your elbows, you know, a foot outside the line of your core, you're not ever going to win another inch from that position. You're going to have to disengage, refight the wrist battle. What I'm looking to do is get my elbow to the center line. All right. Always keep it in the center line of my partner's chest. And I want to punch that arm as deep as I can across that center line. Okay. So now if you take that idea from the turtle position, I'm not coming across like an anaconda. Like I'm not like throwing crosses, uh, you know, with my arm in 90 degrees, you know, from my shoulder, elbow to hand, I'm not trying to punch through that space. It's going to be impossible because somebody really good from turtles just going to pick my wrist off. What I do instead is I get my elbow close to my body and I punch that arm straight and I punch it at an angle. So I'm going to punch it like a, almost like it's going straight down and across. All right. And that allows it to come through the hole. And I don't lock in. What I prefer to do is either get control of the tricep with my right hand, like the, the, the arm that's going to end up being in the anaconda. I like to control of the, the tricep right there, or, you know, even like a, a kind of a worst case scenario would be, you know, just getting control control of like a gable grip right there and using my elbow to start pinching that arm across. But I do not ever punch that outside arm in deep because again, your partner's going to start to hang weight right there. They're going to have your arm mm -hmm. inside their lock and now you're going to get jacked up. And that's yeah, just, you can't have that. So I, I've talked about this concept before and I, I call it the, the three joint rule. And the idea being that like, look, you've got three joints in your arms and in your legs, right? So in the case of your arm, you've got three major joints, you've got your wrist, your elbow, and your shoulder. 
And generally speaking, you can give your opponent one of those joints to play with and you're safe. But as soon as they can control two joints on your arm, you're you're in big trouble, right? You're open to arm drags and things like that. So that kind of comes into play here. And that's one of the reasons why you got to be careful going deep on that anaconda is because mm -hmm. if you're fighting with your wrist, if you go in shallow, then your opponent can grab your wrist. I mean, they might be able to stop the choke, but that's okay. You can fight from there. But if you go in deep, now they've got your wrist and your elbow, and that gives them a lot of leverage over your body. So you only really want to go in that deep when you're when you know their alignment is busted. Like you're basically setting up the submission at this point. There's no way for them to get out. I think that people do get overly enthusiastic about the anaconda and they they think that just because they've got a head and arm grip, it means they can finish and they squeeze like crazy. You see the same thing with the triangle choke, right? People, they'll reach up and they'll cross their ankles and they've got the guy's arm and leg on the inside and they think, I've got a triangle. And so they start squeezing like crazy in that triangle position. But like, if you don't have a 90 degree angle, if you don't have the person's arm across their body, very, very hard to finish the triangle. And you see the same kind of myopia when it comes to the anaconda, right? Where people think just because I've got the head and arm control, that means I have a submission. But that's not necessarily the case, right? It means you've got anaconda control, but you might still have to fight to actually break them down to the point where you have submitting control. So there's like a, a degree of restraint you need to have when you're playing a head and arm attack game, which is to know you have to know when it's time to control and when it's time to squeeze and attack. And usually people go for the finish way too early with these head and arm attacks. A hundred percent. And they don't utilize their lats. If you're not yes. utilizing your lats in your chokes, especially arm in chokes, then you are always going to struggle to finish. You're going to use way more energy to finish. I always see people, the first movement they do when they lock in is they start walking their body towards their partner's head, which is a great tip to finish, right? But that's kind of like in a triangle. So if we just go from the guard and I get you in a triangle choke, it's like if somebody just pulls on the head down as hard as they can like yes that adds to the finish but if you haven't cut the angle if you haven't rebit and you haven't got that perfect triangle angle with your hamstring cutting off that carotid with the shoulder in the perfect place like pulling on the head you know that's one of the last details you should add to the choke it's not one of the first and so making sure that your elbows are close to your body so you always bring your elbows to your body you know they go down and into your body and then if you need some more leverage and you need a couple, like there's a couple of extra things you can do on your anaconda to apply extra pressure, but it's not walking, you know, like that's, that drives me crazy when I see every, like walk, walk into the body, walk into the head, walk into the, like, no, your first play should be to get those elbows pinched into your sides and then pull back in. And so you're engaging your lats. Got it. Got it. So any pointers on that to engage your lats, because this is, Again, something that people often screw up when they're going for chokes is they're so focused on squeezing with their arms that they don't take into account the power of the rest of their body. And I mean, like, look, like you, I don't care how big and beefy you are. Your arms are never going to be as strong as your legs or your core muscles. And so people very much, they get tunnel vision. They go to squeeze with their arms, but they forget like, man, I could be, I could be torquing with my core. I could be using my legs to manipulate my opponent. So when you say here with the anaconda, use your lat, like what exactly do you mean and how do you go about doing that? 
Okay, so it's just like uh, if you think about a rear naked choke, right? So people get the rear naked choke, they grab their bicep, they reach across. Now, if your first movement, okay, is to pull in, you'll notice your elbows flare out, okay? And while, again, mm-hmm. you'll still be able to get the submission if somebody has control of your wrist right there, even just one of your wrists and pulling, like, you'll be able to finish. Instead, when you get that rear naked choke, what you want to do is you want to close your elbows to your body so your elbows go in and then down into your body. And you'll notice that your right. lats, like you're pulling them into your lats. That's exactly how you're going to finish the anaconda. You're doing the exact same thing. So on the anaconda, so let's say from that side control setup, partner reaches for an underhook. I use my right arm to trap his underhook arm to my body. My left arm's the choking arm. I dive over into the anaconda position. Okay, so from here, I've got my right arm like straight and I've got his arm trapped, my elbows trapping his elbow to my body. My choking arm is deep. What I like to do is I internally rotate my thumb. So I go down to expose my tricep. Okay. So if my thumb is up, I'm going to grab my bicep. And this is a big trick I got from boogeyman, uh, Richie Martinez on his darsh chokes is that he grabs his tricep rather than his bicep. And so what you do is you internally rotate that thumb down Okay. And you'll notice that exposes your tricep. And so the big thing here is, is that now if it slips, right, especially if it's no gi, your short sleeve, it's sweaty. When you slip, you'll go to your bicep where a lot of times when you grab your bicep initially, when it slips, you don't have anything, right? You break the grip. Exactly. And so I always internally wrote my, this is something I do on my darts and anacondas. I internally rotate that thumb down to expose my tricep. I get the tricep. And now from here, okay. So most people, they just reach straight across. You'll notice if you've got your choking arm, right? It's just grabbed the tricep. If I just reach across my elbows flare, just like in the rear naked choke, I don't want my elbows flaring out. So instead, what I do is I go back through that motion. So right, my thumb was up and then I internally rotated it down. What I do is I go back the thumb up and I pull my elbow in. So the non-choking arm elbow then goes back to my lat and then it comes across. And you'll notice if you need to just do this without a partner, you just do this by yourself. I just did this on my bed. I'm sitting on my bed uh, doing this podcast <laughs> and I just noticed it's a 10 time choke. Like I'm just engaging my lat and then I'm reaching across for that other shoulder. Okay. So I'm grabbing that tricep, expose the tricep with that internally rotated down. Once I have the tricep, now my thumb comes back up. So I don't reach across from here because again, my right arm flares out that space. Instead, my mm-hmm. thumb comes back up and my elbow comes to my body and then I reach across and now I'm in a deathly anaconda squeeze right there. I mean, I barely have to squeeze. All I got to do is flex my biceps. Elbows, they just keep coming to my last and I just flex my biceps and that should be all it takes. Got it. So if I'm understanding correctly, kind of the two big takeaways you're saying there are use your lat and kind of the way you do that, like with a lot of other chokes is you pinch your elbows into your body. Mm-hmm. And also you've suggested here to try to grab your tricep and not your bicep by mm-hmm. rotating your thumb down. And that makes sense, right? I mean, when I go for these kinds of submissions, I often grab my bicep. And the problem with doing that, like you said, is if your hand slips, you're out of there. There's nothing left. Whereas if you grab your tricep, if your hand slips, now you're going to land on your bicep. So you haven't immediately lost the grip. Yes, it is just a game changer, especially if you are wearing long sleeves. You'll find you just get caught on that with that friction especially in the gi, when you start grabbing your tricep, you'll never slip off those chokes again. It's a money detail. Do you find with the gi, there's a significant difference to this whole thing versus in no gi? Because of course, the problem with the gi is there is 
so much friction, right? It's going to, at least from my experience, I always have trouble slipping that grip in, in the gi just because of the friction involved. Oh, a hundred percent. I think chokes, you know, whether they're naked or are men are, are more difficult just because you have an extra like barrier to get through. And it can be really difficult to get through those barriers. There is more friction. I think, you know, that's why people prefer, you know, like a bow and arrow to a rear naked choke, right? Like in the gi, most guys spend their time with the bow and arrow choke just because it's so much so much more accessible, I should say, than an actual rear naked choke. And I think the same would be true from like a clock choke or a loop choke or something like that. You might prefer those types of things rather than, you know, shooting darts chokes or cho- shooting anaconda chokes just because you're not going to have to deal with that friction. What I often do in the gi to kind of compensate for this, because I, I agree that it's very hard to slip in an anaconda from the gi, but mm-hmm. I still love that head and arm control, right? And I still want to use it as a threat. So what I do is when I reach my arm through for the anaconda, instead of trying to grab my my bicep or my tricep, I just get my hand deep tight inside their collar and I grab there and then I use my outside arm to kind of steer because that way you're probably not going to get the anaconda, but you can turn that into like a single wing choke or you can turn that into a bow and arrow. So you can still use the same general types of control in the gi. It's just if you're having trouble getting your whole arm through, you can stop at the collar and just get a really, really tight collar grip. And that in itself leads to a whole series of gi chokes. But you still have the same general idea. You're using head and arm control as a system. Well, and I think you've brought this point up two or three times and you've sold the anaconda to all your listeners in that it is so much more easy to transition into other offensive movements off the anaconda than the darts. With the darts, you're thinking about really what well, you've got a Japanese necktie, you've got some vice chokes, you know, and, and you've got a darts and mars. You've got that system. But other than that, like it's really, there's not a lot of offensive options that you can transition into. You know, you're, you're again, you're looking for some type of vice grip or Darsh style attack off of that. With the Anaconda, man, you can turn it into so many other attacks. You can start with that control and really assess what your partner's doing. And I love setting up other attacks of the Anaconda, but the Anaconda as a pure submission is one of the cleanest, but its ability to function as attack in a series in a you know set of movements is, is really what, in my opinion, sets it apart and, and really makes it a special movement. Yeah, I, I like the, with the Dars that if your opponent escapes it, you're probably still going to be in a pretty dominant position. That's one of the benefits to it. But I see the Dars as a late game submission. You kind of use that when you've already got your opponent in a pretty compromised position. And then if it's there, you take it. Whereas the Anaconda can be more of an early game attack. If your opponent is turtling, you can use that. And then you can, much like the Kimura Trap, you can use the Anaconda to advance through other positions to get to more dominant positions, which is something that it's a bit harder, I think, to do with the Dars, just because you're kind of using that grip and you're kind of getting into that position from a spot where your opponent has already probably broken down pretty bad by the time you set up the Dars. Yes, I completely, I completely agree. And the Dars is, in my opinion, a much more specialized movement. Like you're either a Dars specialist or you're not, right? So you see the Rotolos right now. I mean, just absolutely dominating with the Dars choke. And you've seen guys like Tony Ferguson in MMA and other guys like 
Edwin Najmi. There's some Darts Masters out there, but it's like you're either a Darts Master or you're not, you know? And again, you'll see guys have success with the Darts that obviously aren't Darts Masters. But again, it seems like the Darts is one of those, like, it's either your main move, like one of your two or three main moves, or it's not. Like, it's either in your A game or it's not. Where the Anaconda can be a movement that, you know, just works well into whatever, you know, like there's so many different attacks it works well off of. Got it. Well, let me talk about attributes here because as a smaller guy with short arms, the problem I have with a lot of head and arm attacks is that my limbs always feel like they're too short. I find this with the anaconda, with the darse, with the head and arm choke. I find this with the triangle choke because my legs aren't that long, right? The challenge that I find is that some of these dual lever attacks where you're attacking like the head and an arm at the same time, they're is or at least it feels like there's a limit to body dimensions right there there is just a point where your opponent is so big that if your limbs are too small it's actually even hard to get the lock itself and for shorter limbed people i wonder what your advice would be here like let's say i go for the anaconda on someone but you know what like i just can't get my bicep or tricep the guy's just too big and beefy maybe i can get a gable grip but I can't actually get my bicep or my tricep to really have a true anaconda. What do you do from there? Do you have any suggestions for that kind of situation for people who maybe are limited by attributes? So there's two big important things, right? We've already talked about not locking the choke too soon, because again, if you try and lock the choke too soon, especially without having the arm pinned, then you're definitely limiting your ability to hit bigger opponents, right? So if you try and lock in the position too soon, then Again, you're going to have to do it on somebody that's smaller or is it like you're going to have a lot of success. Like generally when you see people lock in the choke too soon, it's their longer limbed or they're like much longer limbed compared to the partner they're going against, right? Like their arms just fit super deep and then they lock it in and then they can gator roll or then they can. And everybody goes, man, I wish I had long arms because I could then do that. But at the same time, those guys don't have sometimes finishing success because their arms are too long. Sometimes the advantage is, is having shorter limbs because when you do get it right, the choke comes on immediately. With those longer limbs, sometimes, again, those guys struggle to get the finish because they just they don't have the finesse to get the finish at the ending. So the other big thing is that with the anaconda, I can use my legs. And you've seen Hoffa Mendez utilize his legs in his anaconda chokes to really take on, you know, and tap bigger opponents. There's one anaconda that, and one role on YouTube that I really encourage everybody to watch. It's, it's just a, a training session role. I think they were getting ready for ADCC, but it was Hoffa versus Andre Yavan. And they had this role and it was a 10 minute round. It was an absolute war, but Hoffa ends up catching Andre Yavan, tapping him with an anaconda choke. And the, the way that you utilize your legs, the, the, your ability to pass. So from that trapped arm, right? So initially, if we go back to that side control, you know, that side control entry where I've trapped that underhook to my body, right? You can do that on anybody, no, no matter how big they are. But then your ability to pass that off, so go from your arm trapping it then to your leg trapping it. So my knee then is taking place of that elbow. So my knee now is on top and pinning my partner's arm above his head. Now I can really establish my length. I can really get the most length out of my arms. I have time then to stretch out both of my arms and see if I can get and lock in that position. And you'll find that 
guys, if let's say you're 155 pound male and you've got average arm length, you'll find you're able to anaconda 205 pound training partners pretty easily when you incorporate your leg into that lock. Does that make sense? 100%. And that's actually another one of the advantages that the Anaconda has, right? If you're trying to darse someone with the darse, you're using your hands and your your upper body and you either have it or you don't. And if the guy's too big and strong to to darse, you're kind of out of luck. Whereas with the Anaconda, you're facing in the other direction. You're actually facing Mm -hmm. towards the guy's legs. And that opens up the ability for you to use your legs so you can actually coil up all the way around him. So that's one advantage the Anaconda has that the Dars doesn't. It's got like a stage two, <laughs> whereas the, the Dars has kind of like stage one. You've either got it or you don't. With the Anaconda, if you cannot tap the guy just with upper body control, you can bring in your legs and then you can go to like stage two and use your whole body to get the choke. Exactly. And then with your leg, you kind of maneuver his arm around a little bit to get it into a better position so your arms can get deeper. And a lot of times I tell, just like you would rebite the triangle, so like a triangle choke, right? You would rebite, let's say you you locked it too soon and it was shallow. Well, you might need to rebite so you get that hamstring in that perfect spot on the carotid. You can do the same thing, especially when you've got your leg incorporated into the anaconda trap. So now that leg's trapping that arm. Now your arms can be free. You can then really reach deeper with that choking arm and you can try and especially if you start exposing your tricep you'll find that again you're able to tap much larger training partners than you initially were able to especially if you've never done anaconda you've just been trying darces you'll find you can anaconda you know you're going to be able to anaconda larger opponents that you wouldn't be able to darce Mm -hmm. Makes a ton of sense. Anything else that we missed or did we kind of cover all of the main points? I mean, I know I could pick your brain on this forever, but are there any like other major absolute details that everyone needs to know if they want to start incorporating the Anaconda into their systems? Yeah. So I want to go back to the uh, the gator roll because I think that's where it's most famous. I think most people know the anaconda from the turtle. So if I'm teaching it to a student or to somebody that is uninitiated in the anaconda ways, I always show it and go, Hey, just spend a couple of months, go back to your gym or, you know, utilize it at our gym in your training sessions, attack it from underhooks, whether it's from quarter guard, like you're passing through a knee slice and a guy wins an underhook or you're in side control. But the next step would then be incorporating the anaconda from the turtle position or from a shot. Now, what you see usually when people get that gator roll, right? So they lock it in to they lock it in soon and then they roll underneath. And the big thing I think, and a lot of people end up like rolling the person on their face. I know so many people are like, man, I hate doing the gator roll because my partner just rolls over my face. And <laughs> it, it's super uncomfortable. It sucks like whenever that happens. And so what I prefer to do is instead of locking up on your bicep or tricep or anything like that from the turtle position, I prefer to get a gable grip right there. So my left arm is my choking arm 95% of the time. Rear naked chokes. The only chokes I'm I'm ambidextrous with is north-south. Like I'm good at north-south chokes on my right and left arm. And I'll hit rear naked chokes with my right arm, you know, occasionally. But for the most part, especially anacondas, it's all left arm. So my right arm, the non-choking arm, it's, you know, it's the elbow is going to be pushing their elbow across. Okay. So the arm that's trapped in that elbow is going to push slightly across and it's not aggressive. Like I'm not like aggressively going. This is the most important detail. So think about an alligator or a crocodile, right? 
imagine there is an animal, you know, it's, uh, you know, you've got a deer and it's drinking from a stream. All right. What a gator does, right. Is it latches on and what does it do? It pulls its prey into the water. So it pulls it back into the water so it can get that death roll. And that's how I imagine the gator roll. Most people, they lock in and then they gator roll. I need to pull my partner back at a 45 degree angle. Okay. So what I do is I sprawl back and push my partner's weight into their elbows, which makes their hips light. So then when I engage my, my gator roll, their hips and the back part of my partner's you know, body is light because I've pulled all their weight. I've sunk all their weight into their upper body and it's easy for me to roll underneath. And so when I get that position, again, I've locked in that gable grip and I've got my elbow as a wedge, you know, stopping my partner's base and kind of keeping his elbow from basing out and kind of pushing it across. The most important part is that I sprawl back at an angle, putting that weight into their upper body. And then I engage into that gator roll. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Another pointer that I use sometimes when it comes to that anaconda sequence in the gi is if instead of grabbing a gable grip, you actually grab their collar on the inside. So I re I shoot my hand through mm. and instead of reaching all the way through to grab my bicep or a gable, if I grab their collar, they have to bring their arms in because there's a legitimate mm. choke attack there, right? Like they, I can, I can actually get on top of them and bow and arrow them. So in the gi, if you're having trouble doing the gator roll because the guy's basing with his arm and you just can't knock him to the side, make him think you're going for like a gi choke, grab his collar because then he must bring his hands in to defend. And that makes it way easier to get the gator, the gator roll because he doesn't have that wide base anymore. Yeah, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful setup right there. And anything that brings your partner's elbows, yeah, closer in. And then when you get that gable or, or some type of thing blocking that, that arm from coming back out, you know, it, I, I, again, trust me, like pull back. If you, if you just pull them, you sprawl back and pull them back at a 45, then initiate that gator roll. It, you're going to have a much more success. And then once I get there again, I don't lock initially. So after I've done my gator roll, I still go through some of my same steps. The first thing is I do is I take that right arm and I stretch it straight out and internally rotate that thumb to get control of my tricep. So that left arm stays in position, but that right arm straightens out. And you'll find that when you do that, your tricep just comes right to that hand. And then you go right back into your anaconda finishing details. Got it. Got it. Got it. Cool. So, I mean, we, we've got a ton of stuff here that we covered today. I guess I just one last question. I mean, I know that for some people, they're going to want to start seeing visual details, any instructional content or videos or tutorials you've done, or you've seen someone else do that really illustrates all of these points. So people could use their eyes and not just their ears. Yeah. So Hoffa Mendez, I think is most people, and I love that you said Nogueira because Nogueira was the first guy I think all of us saw use it at a high level. Mm -hmm. And he was the one that really, you know, brought the anaconda choke to the grappling communities, like minds, like it really exposed the grappling community to the anaconda choke. Then Hoffa Mendez, you know, Hoffa Mendez has phenomenal anaconda material. I believe he's got a couple free videos on YouTube. And then at our gym, you know, if, if you're really interested, I'm almost positive. I sought the anaconda in a series for 10th planet decatur and brandon my instructor has an online website it's brandonmc.ninja and it's got all of the these like anaconda details i'm talking about there's like a month-long series in there if you join that like if you really want to like find out you can join for a month 
take those anaconda details, see what, uh, see what we're talking about and using in that, you know, uh, in that system. And those are going to be kind of the, the main places that I would recommend about Hoffa Mendez. He's definitely the, the goat of the anaconda in my mind. So I'm sure his AOJ website's got some phenomenal, phenomenal anaconda resources. Awesome. So I'll try to grab these resources and link them in the show notes. So if anyone wants to find them, just open up the podcast, go to the show notes. You should see them there. So just to recap, Matt, I guess the the big pointers, I kind of got five of them here that I took away from this conversation. One is don't go for the squeeze too early. One is don't go too deep too early. One is when you finish, use your lat, like pinch your elbows into your core. Additionally, try to grab your tricep and not your bicep. But you can do that by internally rotating your thumb down. And then the last one is if you're going for the gator roll, pull back and sprawl at a 45 degree angle, or you can threaten the choke or really do anything to try to get your opponent to bring their elbow in so they can't base. Is that about right? Did I capture everything? Exactly. And I would highly recommend anybody that's really wanting to get good at the anaconda, please set it up and start learning it from that underhook from side control. It's just so much easier to get reps and to get entries that way than, in my opinion, from the turtle and from the sprawl position. Now, if you've already got somewhat of an anaconda game and a front headlock game, you're a purple belt or up, do your own thing. I think purple belts, you know, deserve, you know, the ability to kind of guide their own training at times, like purple belts and up, obviously do your thing. But if you're a white or blue belt looking to get into it, start from side control. Fantastic. So Matt, if people want to find you and check out your work and not accidentally get connected with a sexual predator chiropractor, (laughs) how do they go about finding you? The real Matt Scaff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So come down to 10th Planet Decatur if you're ever interested. 10th Planet Decatur in Alabama. I really think we've got some special things going on there. We love having visitors. We have people come from all over the world all the time. We always have visitors. We love having visitors. So if you want to come train with me, come down there. Obviously, my podcast that Steve's already alluded to, The Grappling Discourse, I do episodes every week. I usually try and do two or three episodes every week. And that's a great way to keep up with what I'm doing. I talk about grappling. I talk about just, I just, I I talk about a lot of different subjects, a lot of different mindset type stuff, you know, and how it relates to training and just different things like that. And you can also, so I'm also on a show and people have really been enjoying this. Me and Brandon have started a show on his YouTube channel. It's once a week right now, but we bring on some talking heads and it's called Around the Mat. And so we just discussed different topics for an hour. You can watch that show. It's Thursdays on Brandon YouTube channel. And it usually it starts airing at 1.30 live. So you want to check that out. Uh, I'm on Brandon's YouTube channel all the time. And then at Matt Scaff is the last thing I'll tell you guys. It's just my Instagram. I don't really use it much, but I message. I get messages all the time. And so that's how I communicate with people. Awesome. So if you've got Anaconda questions, hit up Matt Scaff on Instagram. Well, Matt, thanks so much for dropping by. Really do appreciate it. Fantastic talk. I love these like uber technical conversations where we like pick one specific thing and just nerd out on it in like tons and tons of mechanical detail. Uh, One of the things I love about audio, and I think probably you're on the same page, is you don't have video and eyeballs as a shortcut. So you have to really think about what you want to say and 
you have to really understand the concepts and it, it just it makes it so much more rewarding i think when it, when it comes to putting together and sharing your ideas like anyone can throw a camera on them and say just follow the steps right but it's another thing to actually break things down into concepts and explain why you do things a certain way so thank you so much for dropping by and sharing those ideas with me here today absolutely love to steve anytime i'm happy to come back but thank you so much for uh having me on Awesome. And of course, one more thing for the people who want to support us. I think everyone probably knows, but this podcast is powered by our premium service, premium.bjjmentalmodels.com. It's our brand new subscription site. All of the stuff that we've been doing for the last few years that we'd uh, previously organized up on Patreon, we've actually got it into a full real membership site. We're a real business now. There's a lot of people who've already taken up on that, but if you want to support us and get more of this stuff and learn more about how the concepts can be applied to things like strategy, check us out. Again, it's premium.bjjmentalmodels.com. And if you just want to make a smaller commitment and you're not interested on all that you can always support us on patreon that's patreon.com slash bjjmentalmodels so again two choices premium.bjjmentalmodels.com or patreon.com slash bjjmentalmodels matt thanks again so much for coming by really do appreciate it thanks for taking the time out to talk to us great chat and to all of the listeners i'll talk to you guys next week 